Welcome to Excess Returns, where we focus on what works over the long term in the markets. Join us as we talk about the strategies and tactics that can help you become a better long-term investor. Justin Carboneau and Jack Forehand are principals at Validia Capital Management. The opinions expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect the opinions of Validia Capital. No information on this podcast should be construed as investment advice. Securities discussed in the podcast may be holdings of clients of Validia Capital. Hey guys, this is Justin. In this episode of Excess Returns, Jack and I discuss the role expectations play in investing and in life. Oftentimes, our expectations influence how much we enjoy or dislike something. And when it comes to stocks, expectations means everything. Value stocks tend to have low expectations in general, while growth stocks tend to have high expectations. Understanding the importance of expectations, both your own and from the overall market, is a critical thing to understand. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoy the discussion and hope everyone had a happy and healthy new year. Okay, today we're going to talk about the role of expectations in investing. And actually, it's largely based on an article you wrote a few months ago. Um, but this is a very important concept, I think, for investors to think about. And we're going to kind of work our way through it today. But before we do, let's use your example of your steak dinner that I know you were really looking forward to. Um, was it a ribeye? What kind of steak was it? Oh, probably New York strip for me. Okay, nice, nice. So yeah, so what was, just use that as a starting point for um, how we're gonna set this up. Well, well, first as my wife will tell you, I'm very cheap. So the, the steak dinners are, are certainly few and far between, but when I do go to the steak dinner, you know, and I go to the high-end steakhouse, I, I expect a very, very high level of the quality of the steak. And so there's a story I was telling in the article was, you know, I went to a particular steakhouse and I was expecting, you know, the absolute highest quality steak and I got something less than what I was expecting. But the reality is what I got was actually an incredibly good steak. And, and, and that's part of the problem in every aspect of life, but also part of the problem in investing is everything is set relative to what you expect. So if you go to the best steakhouse in the country, you expect the best steak you ever had. If you get the second best steak you ever had, you are now disappointed relative to those expectations. So my point in, in using that was to say that also relates to investing. And so I wanted to relate to with, with every company you invest in, the market has a certain level of expectations, what they're expecting from that company. And, and the way you can profit relative to the market is you have to have differ, different expectations than what the market thinks. And you have to be right. And the market has to be wrong. And that's a very hard thing to do. But that, but that was the example of the steak dinner, which is understanding that everything is expectations relative to reality. Right. I mean, one of the things right now is you have very high expectations in some of the growth stocks in the market. And then values come back a lot, but certainly, um, you know, with areas of the market, maybe energy or international stocks or small cap value to some extent, you know, expectations are uh, pretty low. Their, their valuations are lower. And one of the things that we were talking about um, before we uh, jumped on was that, you know, how you might be able to systematically sort of take advantage of those things um, with factors and quantitative strategies. Um, do you want to sort of flush that out a little bit? Yeah, so it's it's very hard to try to look at any individual company and say, all right, here's where my di here's where I differ from the expectations and be right. So think about how many people are following Apple and think about how many smart people are following Apple. What are the odds that I'm going to come up with something that's different than what the market expects and I'm going to be right? But one thing you can do as an individual investor is you can look at places where investors systematically misprice stocks and you can 
maybe purchase a group of stocks and take advantage of the difference between expectations and reality. So let me give you an example. With value stocks, people tend to overestimate the problems with a, with a group, a basket of value stocks. And so if I buy that entire basket, I will probably be able to generate an excess return over time because people think things are worse than they actually are. Now, within that basket, there's going to be a lot of companies where things are actually really, they are that bad or they're even worse than people think. But across a wide group of them, I can take advantage of this dis difference between expectations and reality, and I can try to profit using a value strategy. The same thing goes with momentum, but just in the opposite way. People tend to underestimate how good things are with stocks that have gone up in the past year. And so I can buy a basket of stocks that have gone up in the past year, and I can benefit from the fact that people's expectations might be a little bit too low for those companies. But within there, there's going to be some, company, some companies that don't continue to do well. And so I, I think for your average investor, that's probably the best chance you have to profit from the difference between expectations and reality is when you see a group of stocks where the biases of investors tend to lead them to either under or overprice them. By the way, in your article, you had the chart of the, the FANG stocks and then the S&P 500 and then the S&P 500 X FANG stocks. So FANG is Facebook, um, Apple, Netflix, and Google. Or it's just one A, so it might be Amazon. I'm not sure, but either way, actually it is Amazon. I'm sorry. So it's Facebook, Amazon, Netflix, and Google. But one of the things you wrote, and I thought this was really interesting, because if you look over the last decade, obviously growth names, especially these names, have just clobbered everything else. And so while the expectations, so the expectations for those growth stocks going back to let's say 2012, 2013 timeframe, actually was too low at that point because those growth stocks have delivered. It doesn't always work out that way, but that was one of the things that you kind of wrote in the article. You said the expectations for growth stocks, although they're much higher than value stocks, were actually too low because you know FANG has obviously done so well over the past 10 years or so. It usually actually works out the opposite way because typically with growth stocks, investors get ahead of themselves and, and they expect the growth to continue in the future. And as companies get larger, it becomes harder to sustain that growth. So typically with growth stocks, it goes the opposite way here. But you're right. I mean, in the past decade, the opposite of what has been true over the long term has been true. And, you know, people underestimated Facebook. They underestimated Google. They underestimated Apple. Um, and, and, you know, if you've invested in those companies, despite the fact that they had very high expectations at the beginning, they've actually exceeded those, those expectations and you've done very well. I think a good way to look at this whole expectations thing is to maybe look, Apple's a good example. Um, so if, if you look at when Buffett bought Apple, Apple actually had fairly low expectations embedded in its stock price. Even like some of the value streams we run on Validia, some of them were identifying Apple at that time. So the odds were probably more in your favor buying Apple under those lower expectations. You know, Assuming you thought Apple was still a great company, there were a lot of people were questioning at the time, you probably had a better chance of doing well buying Apple then in a period where expectations were low. Now, Apple recently, I believe, is is it doubled in the past year? It's something like that. Um, yeah, it was something up like uh, six or seventy percent year to date, and I think it's it's multiple has certainly gone up a lot from when Buffett bought it. Meaning, like its price earnings multiple has gone up a lot from when Buffett bought it to where it is today, for sure. Right. So its earn its earnings are up something like ten percent in the past year, and it's valuation you know or its stock price has doubled so now you're in a situation when you buy apple i mean i don't know whether apple will work out long term or not for investors who buy it here but you have much higher expectations and so what apple's gonna have to do in the future is much higher now than it was when buffett bought it in order to justify where it is and and, and i think that's the key to this whole thing is a good company is not necessarily a good investment depending on what's embedded in its stock price and so if you have very very high expectations in the stock price 
you need to have very, very good results going forward to justify that. And, and sometimes they do. Sometimes, like we talked about, Google and Amazon, these companies have justified that. But when you have lower evaluations, you have lower expectations. And so what you need to do to exceed those expectations is less. And, and I think that's the key to the whole, to the whole thing. Do you think we're going to change the FANG acronym to TANG for Tesla? For Tesla? Probably. There, there's like, there's other ones. There is one that has Tesla in it and I forget exactly what it is. Um, oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Well, it's going to be in there because te listen, in basically a couple of days, Tesla's coming in as the number six largest company. I believe Fat Man is the one that has Tesla oh. in it. I think F-A-T-M-A-N oh, is the okay. one that has yeah. Tesla in it. So there's, there's Fang and Fan Mag and Fat yeah. Man. There's so many well, of them, but, uh, yeah, no, I definitely think Tesla I, deserves I, going in there based on how much it's gone up. Yeah. I didn't read the whole article. Did you read that whole research affiliates piece on Tesla that just came out, um, talking about how it's, it's, you know, it's to, to, the, to your point, the value, it's almost, I wish I would have read the whole thing, but it's almost like going to be impossible for Tesla to its valuation is so high that it's, it's almost, it's almost going to be impossible to deliver, you know, fundamentally from a business perspective, from an earnings perspective on the valuations that it is today, something like that. We'll put a link to this. That's one of our, that's one of Rob Arnott's, you know, uh, classifications that he comes up with when you, in determining whether you're in a bubble in something or not. It's basically, are the expectations so high that they po can't possibly be reached under even the most optimistic scenario? And, and that gets back to what we're talking about is, you know, if, if expectations get to be such a ridiculous level, there's no way you can ever make money in the stock, you know, and, and that's what you see in a bubble is even though Tesla may produce ridiculously good results in the next 10 years, Tesla may grow at 30% a year. If its valuation has gotten to the point that it just can't possibly live up to it, then it doesn't matter that Tesla grows 30% a year in the next 10 years because the stock's going to still go down. How do you, I mean, what is the, what's the final sort of takeaway here for investors? Is it, you know, you have to be uh, mindful of the price you pay, the valuation you pay, or just understand that, you know, expectations are very, it's very hard to know like what these companies are actually going to deliver. I mean, what do you think is the sort of bottom line? I think that the biggest takeaway is you have to understand what expectations are built into any company's stock price because the, a good company usually trades at a high valuation, a bad company trades at a low valuation. What matters is what is the reality relative to those expectations? And I'll just read a quote from Michael Mavison quick that I think sums it up really well. He says, having been on the sell side for many years and then on the buy side, I can say categorically that the single greatest error observed among investment professionals is the failure to distinguish between knowledge of a company's fundamentals and the expectations implied by this company's stock price. If the fundamentals are good, investors want to buy the stock. If the fundamentals are bad, investors want to sell the stock. They do not, however, fully consider the expectations built into the price of the stock. And I think that sums it up really well. It's, you have to understand what are the expectations built into the stock? What is my opinion? And you know, am I smarter than everybody else in those expectations that are built into the stock that I know something they don't and that I can profit now because my opinion is better than the markets? Great. Well, thanks for explaining all that to me. Certainly, it's something that I, I think you need to think more, <laughs> think, think more about. But uh, yeah, we'll put a link to your article in um, the show notes. It will have the chart that I was mentioning with the FANG stocks and some um, references to other Mobison uh, research and work. And so we hope you guys enjoyed this discussion. We'll see you next time. Thank you. Hi guys, this is Justin again. Thanks so much for tuning into this episode of Excess Returns. You can follow Jack on Twitter at, at @practicalquant and follow me on Twitter at, at @jjcarboneau. If you found this discussion interesting and valuable, please subscribe in either iTunes or on YouTube or leave a review or a comment. 
We appreciate it.